for the past, present, and future of all animals. This is the Zookeeper's Voice with your host, Danny Jirasi. Hello, and welcome to the Zookeeper's Voice. I'm your host, Danny. Today on the line, we have Clay Carbajal from SeaWorld San Antonio, who has worked in the animal field for around 15 years. During his career, he has worked and trained countless amazing animals and been an educator and ambassador for those animals in the care of man, those in their natural environment, and global wildlife conservation. Let's dive headfirst into our chat with Clay Carbajal. Today on the line, we have Animal Ambassador Clay Carbajal. How are you doing today, Clay? You know, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I am so excited to have you on The Zookeeper's Voice. You were one of the people that I wanted to have on here right from the get-go. That makes me so happy because uh, I love, absolutely love The Zookeeper's Voice. And uh, I love your voice, Danny. You're just soothing on a drive home. It's nice to listen to. Oh, thank you, Clay. Well, I miss (laughs) hearing your voice on the daily. So it is so great to get to connect and for all our listeners to hear us talk about your journey working with animals. Yeah, it's been quite a quite a fantastic journey, and I'm really excited to connect with all the listeners out there, uh, whether they work in a zoological field or maybe they aspire to. I'm really excited to talk about the fantastic uh, journey I've had and maybe some tips and things to look for if you're planning to make this road uh, the same road of life. Absolutely. So tell us how your journey began in this wonderful world of working with animals. This is something I've wanted to do since about seven or eight years old, and it, it came along pretty easily. I, I'm down here in San, San Antonio, Texas, South Texas. Don't think about the ocean very often, but right here we're pretty privileged to have a, a SeaWorld park. And my grandparents and my aunt um, would buy me a pass every year, and it's something for a kid to see uh, a killer whale for the first time. And I'd never seen one of those before. I've seen them in books or at the library, but there's not a a lot of places for a South Texas kid to see a killer whale uh, in person. And boom, there it is. And what struck me was even more amazing than the animal itself, but there was people that as an eight-year-old's head were friends with that whale. You know, they got to hang out with that animal every day. And I was hooked. Ultimately, I knew I wanted to have that kind of relationship. Uh, at first, it was just to have that relationship with a killer whale. Uh, but now, here we are, uh, more than 14 years uh, down a road in the zoological field, and I've worked with over 96 different species. But you know, not one of them have been killer whales yet. I say yet because I got time on my hands, Danny. I got a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, well, 14 years has been a long time to work with. Um, it, has this been the same company? Yes, I've been working, and I'm uh, front and honest, I'm working with SeaWorld San Antonio for the last 14 plus years. And uh, during my time with SeaWorld, I've worked for other organizations uh, as well uh, with exotic animals. So my repertoire has just grown. I've always had side jobs that also included animal care and animal training and, and zoological education. And uh, it's just kind of built. And before you know it, you go from my first job ever as a 14-year-old to gain animal experience was traveling around with some goats and some small horses to children's birthday parties. And uh, my job was to make sure the animals had water and shade, and we went from place to place. So it was a lot of livestock, kind of some little kid birthday stuff. Um, but that really taught me how to watch animal behavior, how to see if the animal's getting stressed by the people. And very early on, I found that my role on this earth, although it might be to entertain and educate uh, the public, um, first and foremost is to make sure the animals are having a healthy, safe, and enriching day. And even as a 14-year-old, you know, I was taught that uh, with my first little gig. And then on to SeaWorld, I went uh, during my years in high school, and my first job, my first six months at SeaWorld uh, (laughs) was picking up trash after the, the killer whale show as a park operations attendant. And Danny, the only reason I got that job was I walked into the human resources building <laughs> and the, the bulletin board said job postings. And the j- one job posting said show host. 
So I was like, oh my gosh, I can host a show. Like I could be like the next Jack Hanna or you know, Marlon Perkins or, you know, I got to have my own animal show. This is going to be great. Um, so I applied for show host and <laughs> the next day they called and said, you got the job. And I went, oh my God, I didn't even audition. I didn't even interview. This is great. Uh, I was on cloud nine. I remember calling my grandparents uh, and saying, I got, a, I got a, a show host job. And uh, I show up to SeaWorld a, a week later for the first day of training. Oh and and they, they, they hand me a pan and a broom, a dustpan and a broom. And I quote, I said, what is this show like stomp or something? Look, what am I doing? <laughs> And I was, I was stunned, and they went, you're a show host. And so are all these people, and there were 30 people in the room. And I went, show why, what kind of a show are we hosting? And they're like, you know, host, like, these are your seats, ma'am. There's the exit. Can I get you something? And I was like, oh, I'm a usher. <laughs> so you were not on a stage right off the bat. <laughs> I was not, but I did get a chance to uh, – be a, sit and watch every killer whale show for a solid six months, and uh, and then I, I took my I took myself and applied for the education department where I did that for uh, a couple of years, uh, working around the animals, helping the animal teams um, with you know calf watches and things, but also doing public tours. And then the time came, and uh, I suited up for the first time as an animal ambassador, and I never looked back. And yeah, it's been a it's been a crazy ride, but it all started with one rogue show posting. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. And that was before the age where we could get an email just explaining what the job was or, you know, seeing what job postings were. That was that must have been a lot more difficult just walking in and saying, I need a job and not being quite clear. <laughs> exactly. I wasn't even posting on MySpace yet when that happened. Like, that's how long ago that was. Oh, man, you, you didn't even have a top eight yet. I didn't even have my top eight. Didn't even know Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Tom had not friended me yet. But anyway, that's that's how I that's how I started. So nowadays, when I meet uh, younger people that that want to get into the zoological world, I tell them take a chance on a job, take a chance on something. You never know where that's going to lead you. And um, for instance, once I got that first animal ambassador job, uh, I only was supposed to be there for three months. It was a three month seasonal position i took a i took a two dollar pay cut to move from tours to the animal ambassador team i'm making 750 an hour as a as a ha3 uh wow. now just to give you a, a little description this is this was the levels back in those days ha3 ha2 ha1 apprentice associate trainer senior senior one supervisor so i started ha3 and uh you know nowadays I can say that I made it all the way to the senior one trainer spot. I went a lot of rungs up the ladder. But, um, so really, you started really from is... the bottom, now you're here? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cue the song. It's been a great time. So that first job was only supposed to be three months. And uh, towards the end, that was May, June, July. And then I got extended into August. So now I'm at four months, and right about early August, they started talking about this show they were going to do called Creepy Creatures. Oh. And I was like, ooh, what's this? And uh, it was a show where a guy was going to be on stage, or a girl, and he was going to be like an animal expert. And then they had a pre-recorded professor who was basically a moron. And uh, <laughs> he didn't really know a lot about the animals, and he was live via satellite uplink. And I asked, hey, can I host the show? And I got shot down. Oh. Right? They said, no, you're too new. Um, you, you, you just stick to cleaning up python poop right now. It, this isn't your time to start hosting shows. We're going to lean on some of our more experienced trainers. So I asked again a few weeks later, hey, can I go? Can I host the show? You need a backup? And I got shot down again. So I put my head down. I worked really hard throughout August. And to reward me, they let me go and watch a rehearsal for the show, which was going to be kicking off in late September. So I'm sitting in the stadium watching the rehearsal, and my great friend, brother from another mother, Robert Trejo, was the, the main show host. He now uh, runs his own animal company here in San Antonio called Zoomagination. We actually had him on the Zookeeper's Voice. Oh, so. good, yeah. <laughs> great man. Uh, Robert is hosting the show. He and I, such a long storied history now, and he's hosting the show, and I'm sitting in the stands mouthing every line because I'm just having so much fun. I love the show. And the producer saw me mouthing the lines and said, would you like to give it a try? 
And I went, would I? Like, it was like a, <laughs> yes. Um, and, and Robert, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I'd love to watch and maybe I can pick up some stuff. So I run the sh- I run a show. This is a dark rehearsal. I mean, it's buried way down there in the in the archives. And I, I host a show in this really weird, not even dress rehearsal yet. We're just going through uh, blocking. And uh, I did my thing. I was me. And Robert comes up after the rehearsal and goes to the producer. And he's like, I can't host this show. It's got to be him. And I got to tell you, for a person who's worked in the animal field, at that point, he was well over a decade in, uh, more than that. Uh, he'd done sea line shows and all kinds of other shows. For him to immediately say, I think that guy should do it. That was huge for me. And the producers and the directors of the show agreed. And they actually asked my leadership, who wasn't really behind the idea at first, if I could be the backup. And they extended my season yet again from now, and not ending in August, to ending in the end of October. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a little known fact. I was really supposed to be done. So we're a week out, and we're running the show over and over again, and I do a couple a week. And then right before the show starts, Robert goes, hey, you know what? I think I should be the backup. I think Clay should be the lead. And uh, I, I wasn't saying a thing. I was just letting the river take me where it was going to take me. And you know, the producers and directors, they decided that they agreed with him. So I became the main host of Creepy Creatures. And that year, that Halloween, we had the highest ratings of any show during Halloween, any of the animal shows in the park, including the large stadiums. We were beating them in the ratings, the guest satisfaction ratings. And I was blown away. Robert, uh, I know. I hope you're listening. I love you, man. Um, he never once hosted a show that whole October. He never once wanted to. And that is a selfless teammate. Uh, that is a good mentor. And that's what I hope to do now for younger trainers is step out of the way and give someone a chance to really rise up like, like he did for me. Absolutely. And then, it was wonderful. The Creepy Creatures show evolved into a show called Amazing Animals. Um, I, would, I would host a weekend right after Jack Hanna, one of my icons and heroes. And uh, I hosted that, that show with that same setup for 11 years um, before, before I uh, retired the show uh, just la- uh, two years ago. Wow. Well, I think that goes to show that when you put your best foot forward and really like be yourself, as we were saying earlier, be yourself, um, that a lot comes from that. And, you know, I've had the I've gotten to sit and watch your shows and you're a natural. So it doesn't surprise me at all hearing this story that, you know, and I've also, you know, got to work with Robert or Bobby O and, you know, I got to see him and so I can totally see how this would have all you know come together and that's such a cool story (laughs) and here we are you know uh for at least for Bobbio and I here we are 13 years down the road uh uh, 12 13 years down the road together and he and I still do shows together um and it's just like yesterday like it, it it doesn't stop he I'm I make him laugh more than I think I made the crowd laugh it's just (laughs) The, the style that, that I try to do when I'm talking about these animals on stage is I love these animals. I love their conservation. I love everything about them. I love that sloths sleep 20 to 23 hours a day. I love that porcupines can't shoot their quills. I love that a reticulated python can grow to be 30 feet long. And I'm not buttering it up. It's not some cheesy talk. This is real. This is just me talking to my mom about animals. And that's how I treat every show. If I can talk to my mom about a dolphin or a, a rhino uh, the same way I talk to a group of 10,000, it's going to read the same. And that's how I approach every public presentation. And I've been really honored to be in front of some very large crowds. But even if it's a, a crowd of 10,000 versus a crowd of 10, I give everyone the same show. You get the same clay regardless. There's no toned down version. I'm the same guy, same speed all the time. 100%. I can, I've seen your shows. I've seen you work in small groups. I've seen you work in big groups. And I can, I've, I've seen that. You give everybody your all. And that's amazing because I think that everybody who hears you talk about animals walks away with at least more than one amazing animal fact. <laughs> or one memory. <laughs> or one memory, yeah. Well, as you were talking about your animals, I'm sure that some of our listeners are wondering. What kind of animals have you worked with? Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Here we go. 
Um, as far as marine mammals go, my, my majority of my experience is with bottlenose dolphins. However, I did get a brief uh, stint of time with sea, California sea lions and harbor seals. Um, and from a care and husbandry perspective, uh, I've worked with uh, many different species of bird, including but not limited to um, five different species of penguin. I've worked with flamingos. I've worked with pelicans, bald eagles, barred owls, spectacled owls, screech owls, uh, red-shouldered hawk, Swainson's hawk, uh, Eurasian eagle owls. Um, I've worked with uh, umbrella cockatoos, macaws, yellow-aped Amazon parrots. My favorite bird to train is uh, called a southern ground hornbill. Uh, shout out to Newman at the Brevard Zoo, if anyone from the Brevard Zoo is listening. Uh, Newman and I, <laughs> he lives there now, but Newman and I have a great relationship when he, when he uh, worked here in Texas. Uh, Great, amazing bird, uh, and many other parrot species and ground bird species. Uh, and then you pivot over and to the mammals, and I've worked with two different species of lemur. I've worked with porcupines, sloths, reindeer, armadillos, um, uh, foxes, possums, skunks. Uh, that list goes on and on. Warthogs. Uh, in fact, I've raised baby warthogs in my own house. My children would help me feed them in the morning and the nighttime. Uh, because we're just we're just raising animals here, uh, it's fantastic. Kangaroos, wallabies. Then you go over to the reptiles: pythons, alligators, crocodiles, big lizards, little lizards, little snakes, big snake. I mean, all over the different realm. And then bugs, insects, arachnids, scorpions, uh, tarantulas, um, Madagascar hissing cockroaches. And one of my favorite bits was to walk on stage at the beginning of a show covered in about twenty roaches. And I would have them crawling over my face, in my ear, on my <laughs> head. And, I mean, of course, it grosses the world out. And, uh, you know, it, I, I love it because it makes you go, huh, i got to watch this guy. Something's going to happen. Uh, and going back to the reptiles, large tortoises, uh, small turtles, large turtles. I mean, I, the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. Um, and including one of my highlights of my career, I worked with uh, wild African wild dogs uh, that were a rehabilitation in Zimbabwe. And I worked with them, uh, trained one, helped train one for release back into the wild. She had been attacked by a lion. And I, I worked in Zimbabwe with a conservation group called Painted Dog Conservation. It was my first time working with a truly fresh off the savanna wild animal. And uh, you ever see that, that show called Family Guy? Of course. Yeah. You ever remember, you remember that episode with James Woods where they can't get him out of the house? Uh-huh. Ooh, piece of candy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, 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 I ooh piece of candy to wild dog out of her habitat uh, over a month and taught her that it was okay to be back in the wild, that lions weren't going to come eat her. And it's all because of Family Guy and James Woods. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, <laughs> the list goes on and on for you, Clay. It does. It really does. Now, I know that usually I don't ask this, but I kind of want to ask you this. What has been your favorite animal to work with? Or is that like asking who your favorite child is? <laughs> I have one of those, too. Um, <laughs> hands down, hands down, my favorite animal, and I got to work with her today, uh, was Susie. She's an umbrella cockatoo. Uh, this animal is, uh, right now, she's over 50 years old. She's a surrendered pet. Uh, was surrendered way before my career started. Um, uh, in the late 80s, she was surrendered to a zoo in St. Louis and then uh, moved into the, the SeaWorld systems. And I got to work with her starting in 2008. Um, and Susie is one of those animals that is just special. Um, she steals I, your heart. <laughs> she steals my, she did today. Uh, <laughs> what's cool about Susie is she taught me how to learn. She's a very forgiving animal. And she's just got a lot of personality. And one of the cool things I've been able to do uh, when I go to city to, after city to show off animals and talk about animals is I like to go to children's hospitals and do shows in the lobbies of uh, pediatric cancer uh, uh, wings or just children's hospitals in general and invite the kids down. They might be having a bad day, having a tough time medically. Let me take away their thoughts about what's going on in their life for an hour. Come meet some animals. Come meet some penguins. Come meet some kangaroos and wallabies, whatever. Um, and when Susie would go on the road with me, we would do these things where if a kid was too sick to go down to the lobby for the show, I would take some time, go room to room to room. I would take presents uh, and maybe some you know, merchandise items that we had brought with us and give them to those kids and introduce the animals to them in the rooms. And Susie and I were in Dallas, Texas, uh, and we were in a, a children's hospital in Dallas, Texas, and there was this young man 
and I was told he couldn't, his health was deteriorating, he's terminally ill, cancer um, was taking him from us, and he was just not doing well. And um, Susie and I went to the room, the young man hadn't spoke in a few weeks, he hadn't uttered a word to his mother who wouldn't leave his side, he wouldn't speak to anybody, he could hardly move, his muscles were, his joints and muscles were, were kind of seizing up on him, he was stiff as a board, he communicated by moving his eyes a lot. And it was hard. I'm a father of three, you know, and he, at that point I didn't have kids, but now it hurts me even more. And uh, it, it was hard to see that young man like that. So Susie and I walk in the room and uh, I walk over to the, the bedside and I put Susie down on the bed, the bed rail uh, like I normally would. And she sidestepped her way up to the kid's head and the boys are just not moving. His eyes are looking at her, but nothing else is really moving. And Susie, as sweet as could be, and I'm going to do my impersonation of her, she said, Hi. About as sweet as humanly possible. And she lifted her crest of feathers, and it's burnt into my head. That's why it's so vivid a memory. She said, Hi. And the little boy twitched his neck to the left, first time he'd done that in weeks, and he said, Hello. Oh. In, the, in the lightest, faintest, weakest voice possible. The doctors are crying. Mom is crying. Heck, I'm tearing up in the room. It's like, it's powerful. And that is the power of an animal connection. And we sat in that room for the next 30 minutes. And the little boy started moving his hand. He actually held Susie. For one 30-minute period, he got to be a kid again. And, you know, you can take the 14 years of my career and throw it in the trash. If I still have that one moment. It was a success. And that is the power of zoos. That's the power of every keeper out there. That's the power of every aviculturist. That's the power of every aquarist. That's the power of every herpetologist, horticulturist. It doesn't matter. Even your plants can make people happy. And all you have to do is let them give them the time to do that. And that's why Susie will go down in the history books as my all-time favorite. And it is pretty wide knowledge that the day I retire, she's still there. I'm stealing her and she gets to come home with me. I think that's pretty fair. Uh, one thing that I I love that story. That's a yeah, beautiful story. Yeah, I don't story. tell that very often. That story is kind of a very personal story for me, but I love that story. Yeah, and one thing that I don't know if I really, I don't really get to talk too much about my time over at Animal Ambassadors, but when I used to get to go do meal prep, I would play uh, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC in the kitchen, and I would go look uh, of over. Of course you would. Of course I would. <laughs> and uh, I would look over, and sometimes Susie would just be bopping along her little mm-hmm. head. Her little her little crest is up. She's just jamming out with me, and she stole my heart because I'd be like, I got to get this done, but you look over, and she's jamming out in the morning with me. <laughs> and this is true. This is a true story. Her favorite song to listen to in the morning um, when I would do that, that shift would be, uh, a beautiful day by you two. <laughs> um, I would play that song on repeat and she would just not stop dancing. She'd start screaming and singing along with it. So Bono, if you're out there, I've got a bird who's dying to meet you. She's a big fan. Oh man, that would be Susie's best day ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you shared one of your favorite moments with us. Um, yeah. what are some other favorite moments that you've had while in your career? By far, when my first kid was born, uh, introducing my son to my coworkers, my animal coworkers, uh, for the first time uh, as an infant. You know, when he started walking, we took him over there, and every every animal was just so sweet to him. Even the ones that maybe don't give me the time of day, <laughs> they were over there just loving on him, and I just thought that was that was really special. Um, every uh, every a few mornings out of the out of the week, my daughter will write. Uh, a note to the animals that I work with or work around, and she asked me to deliver them. Those are those are fun moments for me. Um, but one of the coolest moments, I think, uh, doesn't involve my children. Uh, one of the coolest moments I have is the first time I got to swim with a dolphin. That was just, I mean, you dream about it as a kid, and uh, here we are, and the dolphin I got to swim with, his name is Zip, and Zip is a rescued bottlenose dolphin from South Padre Island, Texas. And Zip lived in a rehab with a very, I mean, uh, run by a very good friend of mine, Heidi Whitehead of the Texas Marine Mammal Australian Network. Um, but the, the rehab pool, pool was not meant for long-term care. So Zip had to get out of there, get more space, get more socialization. Um, so when he moved uh, to SeaWorld where I was working uh, and, and currently are working, he got put in this deep pool, dolphin noises all around him. He didn't really know how to be a dolphin yet. 
So he would just hover at the surface all day long. In fact, we had to put sunscreen on him to keep uh, his skin moisturized because he wasn't diving deep. He didn't know how to do that. And uh, the person in charge for that day looked at me and said, hey, why don't you dive in and play with him? And I went, really? He's like, yeah, you might encourage him to, to swim down deeper. So I, I said, okay, this is my first time. And I dove in the water, and here's this little baby orphaned dolphin who is just trying to learn to be a dolphin and acclimate to this new environment. And he's just loving on me in the middle of the pool. And I'm just out there having uh, my, my eight-year-old self is now high-fiving my 28-year-old self. Like They're like, woohoo, we made it. Um, and then the, the person in charge said, Clay, why don't you dive down to the bottom of the pool and see if he'll follow you. We want to teach him he can start diving deep. So I said, okay. So I got my breath ready and I dove down to the bottom of the pool. I grabbed on to something at the bottom, the grate at the bottom of the pool. And I looked up uh, at the surface and there's Zip just bobbing the surface. And you could see him trying to think about coming down. And then he took a, a breath and he came down with me. And we hung out at the bottom for a second. And that was the first time Zip had gone to the bottom of the pool. And I'm underwater watching this happen. And that was just a real special moment. So uh, for me, a lot of these moments um, aren't necessarily the first times I get to do something. It's the first time the animals get to do something. This moment in particular, though, kind of is a double dipper because it was a first for me and for him. So that was a, a real special moment for me. And that's, that's one that I, I try to bring up every time I walk by Zip. I'll say, that's the first dolphin I swam with right there. I love him. There he is. <laughs> there he is. Yeah, that's so cool. And there's got to be so many awesome moments that we could probably have you on for 100 episodes and listen to <laughs> all of your awesome animal moments. Um, so there's, other, there's, there's moments that aren't awesome. I mean, those, oh, those yeah. moments. And I think keepers need to know those moments are coming um, when you have to say goodbye to an animal that you've built a big relationship with, whether it's because the association is using Aquarium Species Survival Plan has deemed that animal's moving to another zoo. That's what happened with that bird Newman I shouted out to you earlier when he went to the Brevard Zoo. Or when an animal like an opossum who only has a three-year life expectancy and you've raised this animal from a baby, an orphan rescued baby whose mom was killed by a car. And now here this animal is four years old and, and dying of old age. And eventually that animal's going to pass. And those are moments that I don't like. But they're still special to me because at least for that animal's life expectancy, that time that we had this animal on earth, uh, myself and my coworkers provided the best care we could give. And that's all, that's all I can hang my head on is that animal's life was awesome for those, for those years that they were with us. So if you wake up in the morning as a keeper and you go to work and you make sure those animals have a killer day and you come home and you feel good about it, do it again tomorrow, mentally stimulate them, give them all the love you can. Remember, we see these animals more than we see our own families. So let's treat them like family, and that's exactly what I, what I do. So every moment is special, even the ones that are hard to recant or are hard to talk about because they're not such a fun outcome. They're still special to you. Absolutely. And one specifically special animal to me um, that you I, I like to talk about every once in a while, and when people ask me if I had a favorite animal, I always bring up um, Meep, the Gen 2, who is over <laughs> in... Uh, over in Polar, she was very difficult for me to say goodbye to when I when I left SeaWorld to move up here to Massachusetts. So that was a tough one for me. <laughs> it is hard. And uh, uh, before I left the Dolphin team, um, I was, I was it's my last day at the Dolphin team, and I'm and I'm already emotional that I'm hanging the wetsuit suit up and moving on to something else at SeaWorld. Um, and not only was it my last day with Dolphin, but the Animal Masters brought over Susie. And it just made it even worse because it's oh. like, oh, God, what? I've already had to say goodbye to you once. So <laughs> how much can like, you take? <laughs> how much can I, even though she's just just another department. Like, what am I complaining about? It's just it it really does get you. It, it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing to see what your relationships with these animals, uh, where they can take you. And and the results of it could fill a book. And I've I've honestly thought about writing one for every keeper out there. I mean, think about the stories you could add to a book when it comes to relationship. And I think that's what something, uh, maybe someone who's listening to this that doesn't work in a zoo or doesn't have any friends that do that. And it's hard to, it's hard to comprehend. I think what they need to understand is the relationships, the relationships we have with these animals, it's, it's out of care. We care for them so much that sometimes we dream about how we're going to make the next day better. And I don't think, um, I don't think the vast majority of the public understand 
how much a zookeeper, a keeper, an animal care specialist, uh, whatever you want to call us, an animal trainer, whatever you want to call us, I don't think they understand how much we put our heart and soul into the animals, whether it's a, a hissing cockroach, and this is true, whether it's a hissing cockroach or a baby sea lion, it, it, it matters to us that they have a good day. Now, you're talking about all the good things about your job and some of the, yeah. you know, some of the things that aren't so good. What do you feel like is the most common misconception about working with animals? That we just play all day long. <laughs> that, that we just, just snuggle that, animals? <laughs> yeah, that rainbows just shoot out of our ears and that there's <laughs> nothing but cute, fluffy animals all day and I don't have a care in the world. And, and that's not true. The, the big, biggest, biggest misconception is that we're, uh, we're just playing. This is a very technical job. And anyone that doesn't think this is a technical job, they just haven't paid attention because we're going in there and we're behaviorally observing the animals. We have animal lives in our hands. Uh, even when we're putting a fish in a bucket, if that bucket is dirty, that is bacteria that we have to make sure we're not transferring. So every bucket must be clean. Every floor must be clean. Every room that food prep happens, whether it's apples and bananas or a head of, a head of lettuce for a tortoise, that room has to be spick and span. I should be able to lick off the floor. So a lot of our days, and that's gross, but it's true. A lot <laughs> of our true. days, a lot of our days are cleaning, 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 going out, mentally stimulating the animals. Playing with them is still a part of that, but it is it is not the majority. The majority is making sure that their welfare is at the highest standards, and that is seen throughout the country, not only at marine parks uh, and and zoos, but that can also be seen at smaller zoos um, in your in your city or your county or your state. These people do a lot of cleaning. All day long. All they day know long. how to spell bleach backwards and forwards and sideways and horizontal ways. They're, they're cleaning everything they can. So that is the biggest misconception. And my dad, I remember when I was younger, uh, starting my career, my dad would tell me, when are you going to get a real, real job? Stop playing with those animals. <laughs> and uh, I was like, you want to come put on these rubber boots, buddy, and these plastic gloves? I'm not just playing with animals, okay? I'm scrubbing stuff a lot. I clean more here than I clean at home, which is true. Absolutely. And it's so funny that you that you say that um, since I have I do something other than work at SeaWorld right now and work directly in like a zoo or, or an aquarium, I I need to like go to a gym when I worked there. I didn't need a gym. Life was my gym <laughs> going to work. I was able to work out. And so you don't realize how much you actually do, even until maybe you step away, even just for a week. Um, it's just it's very hard on your body and we you're right we work so much and there's so much cleaning and lifting and moving and all of the above but it's also easy to gain weight because <laughs> yeah. I, I love uh, all the fans out there listening if you have a favorite keeper team or animal team in your local zoo or aquarium we really love you but they're dropping off cookies and donuts and cakes all the time all the time and I, on a saturday it's the the conference table looks like a buffet line and uh, yeah, I can I could not zip up a wetsuit because of the amount of snacks we we get provided. Plus, our management teams and leadership teams they just want to keep reinforcing us for loving the animals so well and doing a good job. So there's pizza that comes in, or there's this, that, and the other. You can you can really your output of work can be taken a, taken aside by the amount of calories you're taking in when Dunkin' Donuts and Kolaches and all kinds of things are and dropped tacos. in front of you. Oh, the tacos. <laughs> I miss tacos so much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 100%. I totally agree with that. Um, man, that's just so funny that you say that. Um, the, the hard part is now that I don't do all that, people still sometimes bring us food and I'm like, I really can't take this in. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, now I have no excuse. I'm not running around anywhere. I can't I'm, eat it. I'm not scrubbing anything. I'm not lifting all these buckets across snow anymore. I cannot <laughs> handle that intake anymore. <laughs> That's so true. So tell us, if you look back at the 14 years that you've mm -hmm. been working, what do you feel like you had the strongest lessons that you have learned through the years? Ooh, Ooh, the strongest lessons. That's pretty easy. There's two big lessons I've learned, and now I apply them to most other situations. The first lesson was taught to me by a mentor uh, of mine, Dave Force, uh, amazingly intelligent gentleman. He actually works out in the Carolinas now as a behavioral uh, consultant specialist. But Dave always said, you have two ears and one mouth. You should, be, you should always listen twice as much as you speak. And that is so powerful. And the younger me didn't know how to take that info. 
And older me <laughs> really appreciates that. Because if you just listen, if you just listen to your team, if you just listen to your coworkers, if you just listen to your animals, you're going to have all of the answers. They're easy. It's when you're not listening and you're trying to make a plan hastily or you're just trying to prove that your idea is the winner. Those are the times that you fail at a higher frequency. I'm not saying that you fail all the time, but you fail at a higher frequency. So listen twice as much as you speak. And uh, that also works for marriages. If anyone's out there listening, that, that does help <laughs> at home. Um, the, other thing, the other lesson I learned uh, was from a friend of, uh, another mentor named Chris Bellows. And he told me that in life, there are going to be things that are really hard. In fact, there was this military man. Uh, they were learning how to scale cliff sides because the military thought that Osama bin Laden was living in a cave in Pakistan. So they were learning how they could climb these cliff sides to extract him if they got right intel. I mean, we know how history shows that he wasn't living in the mountains. He was living in a house uh, across the street from you know, the Pakistani uh, you know, West Point kind of school uh, and military base. But when they were training for the mountains, uh, they were in Nevada here in the United States and they're climbing this mountain face and this one uh, SEAL team member, uh, it was afraid of heights. And he climbs this 300 foot cliffside and he's about 100 feet in the air and he freezes, he panics. He looks down and there's 100 feet below him. And he looks up and there's another 200 feet to go and he can't figure out where to grab, he can't figure out what to go, he can't figure out where to put his foot, he's panicking. And the old man, the instructor, a local rock climbing guru, scales down the cliffside, no harness, no shoes, no shirt, smoking a cigarette, old man. And he tells him, what's going on? And the SEAL team member says, I can't, I can't, I can't climb. I'm, 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 I, I, there's too much ahead of me. I can't go down. I can't move. And the guy said with the most ease in his voice, you're thinking too big, man. What's in your three-foot zone? What can you affect? What can you reach? What can you change right now? And the guy looked around. And he, I, I can grab this rock hole. Okay, do it. What's the next thing you can do? I can grab here. By the time you know it, by looking not so far down the line, looking immediately in front of him, he was able to scale the rest of that 200 feet up. So in life, when you feel like things are out of your control, when you feel like maybe the world's against you, you're not getting your way, or you're, you're feeling... Uh, disenfranchised or, or downtrodden or whatever the case may be. Think about your three-foot zone. What can you affect as a person? And you can affect your attitude. You can affect your uh, approach to things. You can affect your emotions. You can't affect someone else. Uh, you can't change how they act with you. You can only change how you act with them. Do unto others kind of things. So affect what's in your three-foot zone. And if you affect your own bubble, if your own bubble is clear, positive, and pure, then other bubbles around you will, will kind of absorb that. So those are the two biggest lessons that I wish I could, I could have told myself uh, you know, 12, 13 years ago uh, because it would have made some decisions so much easier. Um, and now my, my brain has so much more room to think about other stuff, to think about uh, making my teammates better or making, um, you know, helping, them, helping them reach their full potential through coaching and not so much the little nitpicky stuff. It doesn't matter. What can I affect? And I can affect coming in with a positive attitude and trying to help these people and, and leading by example. And, that, and that's the best that I can do. That's amazing. And I think all of those things really show in all the work that you've done um, at SeaWorld through the years. So I think that's beautiful advice, Clay. Yeah. Um, now, as for those zookeepers who come after us, what advice do you have for those who might be listening and maybe they're going, wow, he has done so much cool stuff. How do I get started? The, the, the first thing you have to uh, uh, hurdle is yourself. Um, a lot of times maybe we're concerned with a move to another city or we're concerned with a career change or we're, we, we hang ourselves up on the details and, um, I'm a leap of faith kind of guy. I like to jump first and ask where I'm landing later. I like to see what's happening midair. And I tell young keepers, if you want to work with cheetahs, and there's a job that opens up with rhinos, take the job with the rhinos. If you want to work with elephants and there's a job with the penguins, take the job with the penguins because it's now. You can affect it now. If you sit and wait for the perfect moment to come, sure, you might get lucky. But then again, 
you might be looking back when you're 35, 36 years old going, where did the last 15 years of my life go? And the answer is it, it went the place you let it go, down the tubes, because you didn't take a risk, didn't take a chance. So if you want to get into the field today, leap, jump. The only person stopping you from jumping and trying these new things and moving to these new zoos and taking uh, a new uh, chance is you. And I see a lot of my uh, coworkers and former coworkers, I'm so proud of them when they move across the country to a new zoo and they try their hand. Because not only are they gaining more experience, but also I know their culture. And their culture is beautiful. They, they really care about the animals. And I now you know they're going to share that culture with the new zoo they go to. And uh, it's, so, it's so awesome to see people taking leaps of faith. But for young trainers and, and young keepers, you got to try something. You can't let the world pass you by. You got to jump on the train because before you know it, the train's at the next stop and you're running to catch up. So young trainers out there, please take the leap. Do the thing that is scary today because tomorrow it could be your greatest uh, reward and you're going to fail. That's the other thing you got to remember, new trainers and keepers. It's okay to fail. It's going to happen. You're going to have that interview for that elephant keeper job and you're not going to get the job. It's okay. Pick yourself up. Ask for feedback on how you can do better next time and do better next time. That's all it is. Don't get down on yourself. Don't try one time to swing for a home run, strike out, and then walk back to the bench. That's not how it works. Keep swinging. Do things anyway. And, I, you know, Hedley Lamar, do you know who Hedley Lamar is, Danny? I do not. Okay, Hedley Lamar was a very, very famous actress in the 1930s. And uh, she actually wrote down on a napkin the way that we now communicate. Uh, that's how we were able to protect our communications from the Nazis. She figured out a way to hide messages between the wavelengths of sound. This actress wrote it down on a napkin, gave it to her friend who was in the military, and the friend was actually able to, uh, to get it to the right person, and they put it in to the way that the military now communicates. So every time you have encrypted codes or things of that sort, those encrypted codes came from an actress sitting on the sidelines uh, wondering – uh, if her idea was good enough, she took a leap of faith. And one of the things she says, which um, I'm going to quote her because I, I love this quote. I actually keep it on my phone uh, for the days I need to read it. It says, Big the biggest people with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest people with the smallest minds. You have to think big anyway. Isn't that impressive? That's amazing. You have to think big. Yeah, it's something uh, to remember like every day. <laughs> Yeah. And you also have to remember that uh, what you spend years building can be destroyed overnight, but you have to keep building. Build anyway is what she would say. So I, I love those two things because it doesn't matter if you fail. You got to get back up. You got to do it. And that goes for everyone out there. Maybe this not, it doesn't have to do with getting a job at a zoo. Maybe it has to do with a relationship. Maybe it has to do with a different kind of job. Yeah, you might fail, but try anyway. Yeah, do it anyway. So true. Do it anyway. Well, as we start wrapping up our interview, I have a, a question for you that I'm sure that you've contemplated, or maybe not. Um, as mm. Yes, <laughs> I, do believe, I do believe Elvis is actually deceased. I've thought about this a lot, and uh, <laughs> I think he's gone at this point. Awesome. Enter interview over. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> well, what I was going to ask you was, as you um, as your career starts to come to an end, you start looking at retirement... You, you want to hang up your hat, your wetsuit. What do you hope your legacy that you leave behind will be? He was a good teammate. Love That's that. All. Love that. That's, it's simple. I, 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 when I was younger, it might have been, man, he was the host of Animal Planet's Wild Side, which, by the way, that's a trademark name. That's the name of my show. I don't have it. No one's ever told me I was going to have it. But, man, if I had a wildlife show, it would be called The Wild Side. And it would start with the Motley Crue song, Take a Walk on the Wild Side. But that's a different story. Um, <laughs> Someday. <laughs> I, I, just want, I just want people to say I liked working with him. He was a good teammate. He, he taught me a lot. That's all I want. Because at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, keepers out there and even professionals in different businesses – all you're there to do is make sure the next generation is ready when you can't do it anymore. That's all you're there to do. You're there to keep the ship running until some new crew can take over. So be a good teammate because if you try to be the best captain uh, and make sure everyone knows you're the best captain of the ship, 
eventually there's going to be a new captain. And if you didn't teach the rest of the crew how to be a good team, then you didn't do your job. So I just want people to remember me as a, as a good teammate. And, and I'm not perfect. You know, I slip. I fall. I, uh, I have bad days like everybody else. But I try really hard to make sure everyone I work with feels valued, feels heard, and feels like I care about their development because I truly do. I, I think about I think about young trainers and young um, keepers' development and young educators now. Um, I think about their development uh, just as much as I would think about uh, an animal's development. Uh, I want them to get the most out of their career because if they move to the Georgia Aquarium or the National Zoo in Baltimore, or if they move to the San Diego Zoo, if they're working at the Australia Zoo down there with Terry Bindi and, and Robert, I want them to have uh, the ability to say, you know what, one of the people I worked with was Clay and he taught me a lot, and I'm going to try to be a good teammate like him. Because if we have a, a culture, a, a community of unity, a culture of great teammates, then this world is just going to run so smooth. So I do what I can. That's in my three-foot zone. Being a, that's in my three-foot zone. I can be a good teammate. Well, I can say from getting to work with you and getting to know you on a personal level, you're an awesome teammate. You're a wonderful friend, and we've loved having you on the Zookeeper's Voice today. <laughs> Oh, thanks. I'll send you the money in the mail. For that. <laughs> <Appreciate> <laughs> well, for our listeners, I wanted to tease a little bit. This is not the last you are going to hear of Clay. Um, we're actually going to be coming to you in two weeks where Clay is going to tell us all about what it's like to work at SeaWorld and all the questions that you have, might have about what SeaWorld is all about. And I would, you know what I would love, Dane? I'm not even sure if your community does this, but folks out there, if you have a question about what it's like to work at SeaWorld or what it's like to be a trainer, send them uh, to the Zookeeper's Voice, uh, their Twitter or their Facebook page, and, and really send in your questions. I'd love to answer a few of those uh, because it's important. It's important to, to have the answers to that. And, uh, you know, I'd be happy to share the experiences and the things I've seen. And also, uh, in, in two weeks' time, uh, give you a little digital behind-the-scenes tour of what a day in the life there is. Um, I wouldn't have suited up. Uh, for as many years as I have and as many years as I will be suiting up for that company if I didn't feel like it was the absolute best place uh, for animals and for me and for people. So, yeah, send in your questions. I want to know what you want to know. Absolutely. Well, we'll go ahead and make sure that everybody knows where to get a hold of us um, here in a little bit, and we'll make sure that we get those questions to you during our interview. Wonderful. I can't wait. Two uh, weeks. Two weeks. Well, thanks for talking to us today, Clay. Thank you so much, Danny. Uh, everyone, subscribe to this podcast. Tell all your friends to subscribe to this podcast. This young lady is doing some amazing work, giving a positive uh, place for zoos and aquariums to get their message out. And uh, this is a fantastic uh, group. I've had, a, I've had a blast, and I'll talk to you in two weeks. We'll talk to you in two weeks, Clay. I think that we literally could have talked to Clay for probably a full eight-hour day. Well, funny enough... The chat that we just had with Clay, or you had with Clay, isn't done yet. It isn't done yet. This because is true. <laughs> in two weeks, like we said, he'll be back. He will be back. Um, the cool part about you know getting to talk to Clay is he has so much knowledge. It's unreal. <laughs> he has the best stories and too. He's, he's such a great storyteller. He's such a great spoken, oh, a well-spoken person. Right. And I could listen to him all day. Yeah, so could I. Um, and, you know, I got to work with him and working with him was fun. And he's a great teammate. Like, yeah. that's one thing that, you know, he wants to be remembered as. And he is already that. And so I loved working with him. I wish I could have, you know, always work with, you know, Clay or and people who still have the same views as Clay. He's wonderful. He's doing amazing things for animals and the people he works with. And, you know, just, just like he said at the end of the interview, when you asked him, he, you asked him what you want his legacy to be. Mm -hmm. And he said to be sort of like a great teammate. And that's like you just said, he's exactly what he is. And, and Clay is doing so well down at SeaWorld San Antonio. And I'm happy for all his success. Absolutely. Now, the another thing that you can tell, he's so passionate about it. And working with these animals, like you you dedicate your life to them and you're passionate about what you do. Right. And he's taken the time out of us and, you know, SeaWorld has been so awesome to allow him to take this on. And next week, 
um, we are actually going to get more, like you said, from Clay, but not in the way that we did this past week. It's going to be a totally different episode. So this past week, um, the episode that you guys just listened to was more personal stories from Clay. Um, you know, we got to ask him questions from him personally. But this upcoming week, in two weeks, what we are going to be doing is taking your questions about Ooh, SeaWorld. Really? Yeah. We are going to be taking your questions and asking them to Clay so that he can answer any and all questions that you guys have about SeaWorld, what it's like to work at SeaWorld, um, you know, the way that the animals are cared for, anything that you would like to know. We are ready to have answered for you. So now you hear that. The challenge has been laid down, zookeepers' voice heads. <laughs> you better be submitting those questions to either the zookeepers' voice at gmail.com or anywhere on any of our social media. Submit those questions and we will read them to Clay and Clay will answer them for you. Absolutely. Um, so you can either reach us at any of our social media or you can go ahead and shoot us an email and that is going to be the zookeeper's voice at gmail.com. So please, no question is not worth asking because there may be other people who want to know the answers. And as the saying goes, there's no stupid questions. There are no stupid questions. Um, and before we kind of close out, I did want to shout out to Clay. Thank you so much for taking the time for these, you know, our a full month of interviews that we're getting to have from him. For sure. And... You know, I think that people are really, really going to love hearing from him. I agree. Well, for those of you who are listening right now, please do not forget to rate and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And be sure to stay up to date with all the happenings here at The Zookeeper's Voice on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and thezookeepersvoice.com. And submit those questions! For the past, present, and future of all animals, this has been The Zookeeper's Voice. We'll see you next time. Bye.